guys. Thanks, Andy. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, still made the recording. There we go. All right. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you guys uh, having me tonight. Um, my name is Sean Conway, and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Um, I've been blessed with sobriety since November 26, 2014. Um, it's all due to God. The steps is laid out in this book and guidance from a good sponsor. Um, it, it, you, you know, I was thinking about this. I did a, our, our group does this thing, what we call a foundation meeting, uh, where we break off for newcomers and it's just one, two, and three. I actually did that last night. Hadn't done it in a while. Usually when I say that, and I, I usually start off with in no way, form or fashion, would I suggest you try Sean's ways? And, and, and there's truth behind that because I, I did try that. But the more I got to thinking about that, I was praying on that last night. And in reality, I had to try those ways. And I think every one of us that are real alcoholics uh, that, that identify and find our truth in step one um, have had their former fashion of Sean's way. It's just it's it's their own their own options and things that they have to go through to get to that willingness um, to uh, to truly surrender, to be to be at that 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 dark spot where we really need to be jumping off point. Um, so I, I thought about that last night and I, I kind of caught myself saying it um, and thought about it a little differently. Um, I, thanks again for, for letting me join you guys tonight. This is, uh, this is really cool. Of all the Zoom over these past couple of years, um, I got really burnt out with Zoom, with work and, and all the different things, but it's really afforded. The coolest thing I think I found is this op opportunity to meet new people around the country, around the world that, and, and experience um, the, uh, that, that common peril um, to, to listen to other people uh, talk about um, where they've been and how they got free from that um, or what, what steps led them to that. So um, I appreciate that. Um, so you know, my story is no different, uh, is not really anything unique um, in doing it, but there, there were certain identifiers um, looking back in hindsight that, that I can see now with the help of the steps, uh, with, the help of, with God's help to recognize, man, what, what was going on uh, with me um, that got me to the doors of AA, you know, seven and a half years ago. Um, to the to the to the front door of my uh, to our meeting uh, meeting my sponsor for the first time, and um, you know so I, I was originally I was born in uh, Beaumont Texas uh, southeast Texas near the Louisiana border, um, and um, you know normal childhood you know played until the lights went out on the street and you went home and you got dinner and you know we had a like you know caught mud bugs in the ditch behind the house all the different things and, and just just grew up. Being a normal kid, playing sports, having fun. Um, we uh, we moved. The first kind of thing that 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 I thought about when I when I kind of thought about my story for the first time was we moved from Beaumont, Texas, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, when I was about fourteen years old, Thir thirteen, about to turn fourteen. And um, if you don't know anything about Albuquerque, New Mexico, it is a polar opposite to Beaumont, Texas, um, culturally weather, I mean, different parts of the country, didn't know anyone there, my entire family, and I'm talking third, fourth, fifth cousins all grew up and lived in Beaumont within probably maybe even in Houston, that was the big city, obviously, and, and doing that, but we were all within an hour and a half of each other, and, and, and it was something completely um, new to me, and, um, and so we, we moved out there, and I remember right when I got out there, um, I immediately felt different. Um, I felt 
um, like an outcast. Um, and you know, that, that a lot had to do with it. You know, the fact that I hit my growth spurt at age 12, I was, I was this size, I was six foot, you know, maybe a little shorter, but right about that size, not quite as rotund as I am now, but I, I was a big kid. Um, and I, and I grew like five and a half inches one summer, like the summer before I turned 12. And so I dwarfed every other kid in my class when I moved out there. Um, I had this very thick Southeast Texas Cajun accent. Um, no one could understand me. Um, and so it was very difficult for me um, in my, uh, in that early childhood, in that childhood to uh, identify as part of a group or part of something. I always felt like an outsider. Um, and so my earliest um, real understanding of, man, not liking the way I felt, not being comfortable on my own skin was, was that. Um, and, and, and I compensated heavily. I, uh, I became a huge people pleaser. Um, being the big guy, um, you know, I kind of had two, two options to go. I could be the bully or I could be the funny guy. And, and, and honestly, I could be whatever you wanted to be. I became just like the book talks about the actor. Um, I was going to fit into any group. Um, I could be a chameleon. I, um, you know, I played sports. I was, uh, I was a very good, I was, I was pretty good at athletics. Um, I wasn't super smart, but I held my own in school. And so I could hang out kind of with the smart study kids. Um, started listening to punk rock and started hanging out with the rockers and doing that. Heck, I learned how to skateboard so I could hang out with the skaters and do that. I mean, I was going to be able to bounce around to all these different groups. Um, and, and really, at, the, at that, even then, I knew I still never felt like I had like a, a true connection uh, because I always felt like a fraud. I always felt um, like that they saw the real me and I didn't like the real me because I was so much bigger than everyone. Um, I just thought I was different. And um, and so those feelings kind of carried through my life. Now, I, I rationalize and justified and, you know, I'm not to say that I got uh, anything any different than any other kid that that comes to age, comes in through puberty, anything like that. I mean, we all kind of are searching for ourselves, I think, throughout our life and doing that. But it was just that stuck out in my head. Um, I bring that up because that what that did was, you know, you know, school progressed normally, got into high school, you know, started drinking on the weekends, partying like the normal high school kid. We'd find whoever's parents were out of town or we'd go out in the Mesa in the field and have a bonfire and a party out there. I mean, it's, it was kind of just the, the thing to do because there wasn't a lot else to do in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, the, uh, what I did realize, though, is I, I found that well, let me go back. I, I remember the very first time I really actually got drunk. And it was when I just turned 14. I was staying at a friend's house and we'd gone to the next door neighbor's uh, house who was a little bit older. He was like 18. Um, and he had a couple 40s of Mickey's and he had given one to us each, uh, my buddy Armando and I. And I remember chugging it. And then I got another one. I chugged the next one. And, I, and I, it's not like I thought of like look back and I'm like, oh, the allergy kicked in at that point. What really came of that whole situation was, is we went home and I remember <laughs> he had in his guest room, a uh, the old 1980s waterbed. Um, the ones that just completely just, I mean, you're constantly doing the wave. And I got so violently ill um, on that. And, and I remember even after getting sick, 
I had a light that went off in my head and it, and, and I can't pinpoint and say, Oh, it was the alcohol that made me, that made me feel that way. But I vividly remember saying, this is my ticket. Those older guys liked hanging out with us, liked hanging out with me because I could drink as much as they did. And, and it was my ticket to hang out with the cool kids and do that. And so that was a, that was imprinted in my head. Um, that alcohol basically equaled acceptance in, in, in that deal. And, um, and yeah, you know, I had fun while I was doing it until I got violently ill, but I still remember waking up and going, that was awesome. That was great. Um, and so, you know, things c- continue on. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Like I said, I was, I was good in sports, played hockey. I played golf. I mean, you know, I was, I was big skier, all these different things. Um, love the outdoors and and go through high school pretty normally. Um, nothing nothing really stood out um, that was of significance. Um, I continued the entire time, though, always not really being comfortable in my own skin. Um, I always tried to overdo. Uh, I, you know, I was going to be the life of the party. I was going to make sure that I got um, more. I had a fake ID when I, when I was in high school. And so I was like that, that was another one of those key things. Like everyone invites you to the party. If you have the fake ID, that was awesome. Um, and going through. And so I, um, I was able to kind of go through that, but, but it wasn't like we were, I was seeing any consequences or anything like that. It was just, it was kind of normal high school behavior in my mind. I used air quotations around normal high school behavior. That's how I, that's how I viewed it. Um, go to college. Um, got, went to college, came back to Texas, went to SMU in Dallas. And, um, and, and honestly, um, man, I, I took to college like a fish in water. I mean, it was, it was great. Um, you know, no real supervision and, and the drinking started to progress. Um, it, it started to, to ramp up again. I'm not really seeing any consequences at this time. And, and I want to preface that. In my mind, how I was raised, a consequence around alcohol was legal. It, it really had nothing to do with like um, relationships or you know friendships or um, anything outside of legal consequences. Um, we we come from a family of very heavy Catholic Cajun um, drinkers, and so really you're. You don't even talk about drinking unless you had a DWI, and in 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 that really he doesn't even classify you as having a problem. You just were an idiot. Sorry, that's just how our family kind of like. That's how I was raised to kind of view that and like alcohol. So an alcoholic or any problem with alcohol, basically my mindset went to living under a bridge, you know, drinking out of the brown paper bag. That it had to be that. Um, so. So at the time when I was in college, the drinking's ramping up, but I don't see any consequences. I'm still getting through school. I graduated in four years. Um, you know, I was social chair of my fraternity. Um, again, I was going to make everyone have a good time because I wanted, if anyone else was not having a good time, I wasn't having a good time because I felt it was a reflection on me. Um, so it was uh, still a continuation and ramping up of, Still not being comfortable with my own skin, but playing the actor and act, letting everyone else think that everything's okay um, and everything's going well. I just, um, 
I just didn't understand how to identify that at that time. I didn't know that that's really the feelings, the, uh, that feeling of kind of shame, guilt, being a fraud were, were what I was really trying to cover up. I was just, I, I didn't know how to identify those things. We didn't, we didn't talk about feelings at all in my family growing up um, and, and doing that. So um, college goes on, um, kind of get through, um, graduate college and uh, decided to go to law school and got into law school. And so the first time I ever truly tried to moderate um, and or stop, looking back, it was more trying to moderate. Um, I, I did get in, obviously, in college. I, well, not obviously, but I got into some outside issues also in college. And I remember right before I left for San Diego to go to law school, I, I was kind of sitting on my couch and I was like, you know what, I've got to grow up. I've got to get rid of all this stuff. I've got to stop all this stuff. I've got to stop even drinking. Um, because I'm going, this is going to be, this is my career path. This, it's time to grow up and to be an adult and, and do that. And, and I made the solemn vow. I made a firm, like the firm resolution. I'm not, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just going to, you know, be done with it all. And, and that lasted, I actually packed up my car. That was the day before I left for San Diego. I packed up my car the next day, drove out to San Diego, um, got out there. And on day four, um, we were in our second day of school. Uh, of classes and one of the uh one of the um students or one of the my fellow classmates came in and she was letting everyone know that the student bar association which is like the student government um was throwing a uh, a big bonfire kegger down on the beach one of mission bay beach um for a meet and greet so that all the first years could could get to know each other and have fun um and uh and, and that was the end of my uh my my hiatus um it, it just like that i was right back to kind of doing the same things that i was before um drinking the same amount which was which was starting to get heavier and heavier um another thing that came of that party so one of my um i one of my fraternity brothers and i got into the same law school and we went and we were roommates together and we had met a couple friends during orientation and we all met at our apartment before we had we were going down there and of course um I run out to the um, uh, to the store before, as we're all kind of gathering, uh, in a sense, doing a little pre-party, and and fill up my cooler, my 120 quart igloo, with like seven cases of Miller Lite, six cases of Miller Lite, and I'm filling it up. And the guys, one of our buddies that we had just met from Ohio, like as I walked back up, he's like, "What, what are you doing, Sean?" I was like, "Well, I'm just filling the cooler up. We're about to go to this party." And he looked at me, he's like, you do, you do remember, they said there's gonna be like 15 free kegs there. And I looked at him like puzzled. I was like, what do you, yeah, I did hear that. But you don't go to a party or go out without all the beer and, and, and stuff and going through. Um, and I remember my roommate chiming in from across the room. He's like, oh, that's just Sean. He always does that. And it didn't register at the time as a red flag, but he was right. I thought back, like now I can think back and all through college, I never went anywhere, the bar, anywhere, any party without my cooler filled up in the bed of my truck. Um, what happens if they run out? What happens if they don't have what I like? Now, which was not very often. What happens if, you know, there's late night? What happened? Like, so I always had to have that extra. So 
So looking back, the 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 idea of not having enough, man, that was that was early on for me, uh, and going through. And man, I again, I rationalized it because I am a big guy that I can just drink more than everyone else. Um, I didn't think it was abnormal for me to bring a case to a beer to the party where most people are bringing a six pack or twelve pack. And I'm going to polish off that case and then probably go around and start asking you guys for beers or finishing off yours um, and doing that. Um, so that that was kind of a red flag that I did not see. I didn't kind of catch until, you know, obviously hindsight looking back. Um, law school, I, things are going on. So, see, the one thing that I kind of get from from all of that is I I had been pretty successful in certain things that I put my mind to. Um, I had the ability to buckle down and put willpower into a lot of areas of my life and succeed in them. Um, like I said, I wasn't a great student. I had a lot of fun in college, um, but there were a lot of late nights pulling all-nighters to, to, get, to get some of those grades to just pass the class to, to make it to the next semester. Um, I was able to get into law school, like all these kind of things were starting, like I'm in my brain, I'm like kind of notching going like, these are successes. These are, um, these are, um, if I put my mind to stuff, I can do that. And that was instilled in me from an early age from my dad, work harder, do better. Um, that was a, the saying in our family and doing going up like, man, if you, if you're not succeeding, you're just not trying hard enough. And, and so, so it, it was one of those things that I always, I, I kind of had notches on my belt that things are going pretty well. Now, at the same time, as I'm having these successes, my drinking is ramping up at the same, pretty much the same pace and going through, but I'm not seeing them correlate. I'm not seeing them as like anything being a problem because all I focus on are the successes, the things that are going well in my life. And so you know, I get out of law school, I uh, passed the bar out in California, I got hired on with a firm out there, uh, uh, and a, a small firm. And the first time I ever had a major kind of, it, 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 and like I said, when I say consequence at the time, I, it, I thought of it as just a hiccup. Um, we were about, I was probably three months into my job. And, uh, it was a Monday. I was studying for the bar. I was taking the bar in like another month. So I was basically locked up down in the, um, the, uh, the little law library we had, the little basement law library we had. But I remember walking in on a Monday morning and I was so hungover and so bad that uh, the partner of the firm that hired me called me in his office and, and just told me to go home. He was like, you're, you're a mess. He was like, you're, you're useless to me right now and you're useless to yourself. Um, this needs to be a lesson to you. And that, that scared me. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't passed the bar yet. And I hadn't, like, I still was very gracious to this, this guy for, for giving me a job. Um, but it didn't do anything to really curtail it. It didn't, it didn't stop me. I, I thought that, you know, I, I just need to stop doing Sunday fun day and drinking all day long and then do that and, and things will be all right. Um, but really nothing changed at all. Um, I, I had these great ideas, but nothing ever, no action was ever taken around it. Um, so go on a little bit, um, about a year into it, a year and a half, my, uh, the, the, uh, the firm was bought by, uh, bought out by 
a couple of the junior partners and my partner uh, left. Uh, he, the guy that hired me on and, and they offered me to stay on. They offered me a job to stay on. They wanted to, to keep me at this time of practice for a little bit. And, and I, I used it as an excuse. I'd been wanting to get back to Texas for a while. So I, I decided to move back to Dallas um, and started a business with one of my, uh, another friend of mine uh, on the business side of law. And, and we got pretty successful at it. Um, we did that for about four or five years, four and a half years, um, and, and did really well with it. Now, I was basically the, the recruiter and the sales on this, on this deal. I was taking out attorneys, playing golf, taking a nice dinner, drinking good wine, taking them out and having fun um, to get to, to be able to use our deposition litigation services company. And, and I was good at it. Um, I'd found my niche. Um, I, could, I could make everyone have a good time. Um, we ended up getting bought out uh, by a bigger firm that wanted our client list. And so I was going to do what any normal 27, I was turning, I was just turning 28. I was going to do what anyone nor normal 28 year old does at that age. I'm going to retire and, uh, and do that. And that's how my mind was working. And, and I did, uh, honestly, I, I, I kicked back. Um, I started traveling and partying a whole lot more. Like the whole time my drinking is ramping up more and more and more at this point. Um, it, it's, I, I hate using the idea of like, uh, it's an everyday occurrence and drinking more. It was just, it was more than I needed to. And it was more than I intended to regularly, if not every day. And so it, it's not about the quantity or anything like that. But I, I at this point, I, I know I can kind of start seeing some 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 things that are going sideways in my life. Um, my health is declining a little bit, but not badly. But um, again, I've got these notches, successes. I was able to finish law school. I was able to pass the bar in California. I was able to start this business and sell this business. So I am I'm I put my willpower to things. And I can buckle down and I can, I can, I can make things right. I can fix it. Um, fast forward a couple more years. Um, I blew through all the money that we had sold the company for, uh, my portion of it, um, and went back to work helping another friend start a company up because a marketing company, because I had, uh, I'd just gotten through that a few years before, known how to do like, you know, corporations, things like that, S-Corps. Um, and the thing was, at this point, I'm really just kind of um, in full bore. I am, uh, I am at, you know, I was about 33 at the time. Um, and I am just in my, like, drinking has taken over my life. Um, my routine was, I, I, you could set a clock to my routine. Um, I'd met a girl. Um, we got pretty serious. We actually got engaged. Um, I would wake up around noon and want to go to the bar right then. And I was only doing deals every once in a while. Like I, I basically would do like two or three deals a month. That would be just enough to kind of uh, suffice to, to give me a couple of dollars to make it through the end of the month. And then I just wasn't working other than that. And I would wake up at noon. And I remember telling myself so many times that I can't go to the bar right now because only alcoholics go to the bar at noon start start hitting it at noon well three o'clock the market's closed in dallas and a lot of my trader buddies would roll straight from the trader desk to the bar now if i've got other people around me yeah see then it's not an issue so i would always wait till three o'clock and i'd meet these guys up at three we'd go to happy hour and i would usually sum that up about 4 35 
And I'd go home to, to uh, at the time, my fiance's uh, apartment. I'd cook us dinner, hang out, have a couple more drinks. And then I would say, you know, you, you know what, honey, I need to, uh, I'm going to go back to my apartment because it's closer to work. And I'd drive straight back to the barn. I would shut the bar down and then I would go to my apartment and figure out whatever I had stashed anywhere um, to drink myself to sleep um, and, and pass out and then start the same routine the next day, every day, um, especially the last two years, 33, 34, 34, 35. Um, that, was, uh, that was my daily routine. Um, and, and, and I was starting to really, it was, it was wearing on me. Um, there were, I would say, especially in the last year, if not mostly the last two years, I woke up every morning saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I, I can't do this anymore. This is not healthy. Now, at the time, in reality, though, I was looking at it as the fact that I wasn't really working. Guys, you remember, I'm, I'm engaged at this point, And I had pushed off the wedding, like kind of made these excuses that we were engaged for like four years or something like that. Um, but it, I just wasn't working. I wasn't doing anything. I hadn't saved any money. I hadn't done anything. And so um, I kept uh, I kept telling myself I can't do this anymore. But really, it was more around the fact that I was just lazy. I kept telling myself I'm just being lazy. I'm not. I need to go out and get a new job. I need to go and, and just buckle down and, and, and try harder. Um, in, in reality, looking back now, um, man, I had no defense against this deal. My body let it, let alone it still had alcohol in it, but I mean, my brain was in full force saying, Hey, get on it tomorrow. You're, you're shaky. You're jittery. You feel like crap. Just have a, go have a couple drinks at happy hour and you can get on this tomorrow. You just need to settle your nerves. It'll be different this time. Um, and, and that's, that was my, my last couple of years where I, I did every morning saying, I can't do this anymore. I gotta, I gotta change it. I gotta stop doing this. And being at the bar at like three o'clock, starting the same routine over and over again. I look back and I think of it as like the hamster wheel. Um, I, um, I, it really did. It's like I was just running in that, spinning in that wheel, not going anywhere and just getting exhausted. Um, and it really was, it became a job. Um, and, and, and I wasn't happy. Uh, I was, uh, I was miserable. Um, so Fast forward to 35, I actually got um, arrested um, for an outside issue. Um, but I, this is, this is the big aha moment. Uh, now, remember, I had gone through my entire up to 35, till I was 35, um, not ever really considering I ever had a drinking problem. I knew that, that, that it was causing issues, but I didn't really say, alcohol is the, the, the core center aspect of it. I always thought I was just being lazy. I always thought that, you know, I just wasn't trying hard enough. Um, it was your fault. Um, if all of you guys would stop giving me such a hard time, I wouldn't have to drink so much. That, that was the mentality, the victim kind of going through. So that, that kind of had, excuse me, that had been, um, my mindset for 35 years. Um, but now we have a legal consequence. Aha, remember the legal consequence. Now it's an actual consequence. Um, and, and guys, that was a really eye-opening experience for me. Um, I uh, went down to, to Lucerne, which is Dallas County Jail. I was down there for about 50 hours. 
by the time they processed me, got me through and I got bonded out and I laid there the entire time um, crying. I, I laid there just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm never doing, I'm never picking up another drink. I'm not doing anything. I'm done for the rest of my life. Um, how did I get here? I mean, as I, I, like, I had this kind of put myself up on kind of a pedestal. Look at all the things that I have accomplished in my life. And I'm laying here in an orange jumpsuit in jail. Um, and that was it. That was, the, that was going to be the, that was the aha moment. And you could have hooked me to a lie detector at that moment. And I would have passed it. I was 100% truthful in saying that I was never going to do this again. I was, I was truly done. Um, my, uh, my fiance bailed me out. Um, I had her drop me off in my apartment, said that I was just tired and I hadn't showered in two and a half days. Um, and I showered and I was at the bar three and a half hours after I got bailed out. I was probably five, five or six drinks deep before I went into the bathroom and saw myself in the mirror with a Miller light in my hand. And I just broke down in tears. Um, I did not know what was going on. Um, looking back, um, well, it, it, it was it was probably the first half or big portion of my step one, true step one experience um, in doing that. The second one comes shortly in a couple of weeks. But so I broke down at that moment and um, and just didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how I had gone. I did not. I remembered laying in, in bed in jail. I remembered laying there crying and I remembered there saying over and over and over again, I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing this again. And yet I was at the bar three and a half hours later. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, of course my brain, my broke brain kicks back in the mental obsession. And I, um, it's, it's going to be different this time. You just need to get through tonight. You've had a rough, a rough couple of days. Um, we'll hire an attorney tomorrow. We'll get it all settled out. Um, you know, your 35th birthday is in, this was, I hadn't actually turned 35. I was, my 31st birthday was like six days later. And I was like, you know, we're just going to have this one last hurrah and then I'll just completely shut it down after the 35th. You know, I, uh, they had set this party up for me and stuff like that. I was like, I can't let it people down again, all this irrational crap that I'm selling myself and I'm going, okay, yeah, you know what? I just, let me go get another beer. It'll be all right. So things for the next like week and a half, a uh, couple of weeks after that, even after my birthday, just go back to normal. Like nothing happened. Doing the same routine, the same thing over and over and over again. Um, during that time I had bumped in, I, you know, I'd started going to some real random bars um, to kind of hide because I didn't want to see people. And I, I went to a bar that we used to go to in college. So I knew the bartenders and I knew no one my age was going to be there. None of my friends or anything like that. And it just so happened that one of my, uh, one of my fraternity brothers walked in, he was actually showing some of his friends, um, around town and was like, Hey, let's go stop by the bar that we used to like 40 coin every night in college. And so we start chalking it up and talking and, and he is, and does it. And I don't know, I hadn't told anyone that I'd been arrested up to that point. And I don't know what made me, but I, I remember telling him, 
I, I had gotten arrested a few nights before. And the look that he gave me and goes, what the hell are you doing here? Are you crazy? And I remember that look so vividly, like he truly was looking at someone that is insane. And in honesty, he was looking at someone that was insane. I didn't know that at the time, but that that was the case. Um, I'm doing that. So fast forward a little bit more. Um, things are keep going. Uh, during this time, my brother and a couple of my buddies had sat me down for, a, for an intervention. Um, it was more of an intervention to just buckle down and get a job. Um, you're about to get married. You need to kind of straighten your life out. Um, but I, I took it to heart. I knew it was, I knew in reality it was about alcohol. Um, but I would drink that night and I continued to drink, even though I told them that I wasn't going to told myself that I wasn't going to fast forward intervention. Number two, they bring in the big guns. They brought my mom in, um, and doing that. Uh, I remember getting picked up for that intervention. I remember being extremely pissed off in the back of the car at 630 in the morning um, with the interventionist sitting next to me. And he had this little smirk on his face and I wanted to throat punch him because I knew what was going to happen. I was just angry. Um, in reality, looking back, I was more angry with myself. Um, again, it was kind of like that jail feeling like, how did I let it get this far? Why couldn't I just buckle down? I'm lazy. I'm not a good person. I'm morally bankrupt all those different feelings. And uh, I remember walking through the door uh, to the room that, that they were doing the intervention. And I saw my mother's face. I have never felt as bad as I did in that moment in my entire life. It was the first time in 35 years I'd ever considered how my drinking affected another person. And it was horrible. Um, the 12 and 12 talks about the, the, um, the alcoholic needing in step one to, to come to this absolute humiliation. And it's not about the shame aspect of it, but it's the true just gut feeling of knowing your truth and doing that. At that moment, that 180 flip in my, in my feelings, my, my stomach, my brain, everything went from anger to shame, guilt, all those different feelings. And I knew immediately at that moment I was screwed. Um, and, and, and in honesty, that's, that's what step one is. It was the switch for me. I, I knew I didn't have any control over it when I, when I was in that bar at the, at the time. I knew that, that, that I, I didn't do it. I hadn't, I hadn't, you, I'd never seen the 12 steps before. So I didn't know what powerless over alcohol meant or my life being unmanageable. But looking back, I knew that I had no control over my body or my mind once I started drinking or when I didn't have alcohol in my body uh, whatsoever. I was defenseless against the first drink. I was powerless. Um, my life was definitely unmanageable, and it wasn't the consequences. Looking back now, I, I, I remember telling my counselor treatment that I was like, he asked us in group, our group session. He's like, well, whose life's unmanageable? And I was like, I got this one. I, I know this. I was like, man, no job. Girl doesn't want to walk down the aisle with me. Family doesn't want to speak with me. Friends are all pissed off at me because I've like still bum money from and haven't paid it back all those different things like if that's not unmanageable i don't know what is um guys those are just consequences those th those things happen it, it tend to happen they don't have to have no bearing on whether or not i'm an alcoholic or not my life is unmanageable because stone cold sober without alcohol in my system i can't manage a decision to stay stopped i can't manage my life with or without alcohol at all
can't manage it with it in my body because I've lost control at that point. My allergy is set off. I can't manage it without it because man, my brain is broken and it's going to kick back in and say, I got a solution for that. So it, 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 the switch in my head was, went from, I don't want to do this anymore. And I can't do this anymore. Cause I said that a lot to I'm screwed. I'm going to drink left to my own devices. I'm going to drink. And that was my hole. That was the dark spot for me that, that, that made it so that I had to, I just, just ask for some help because I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, in, in those years prior, I had tried a couple of different things, man. I had, I had gone to my doctor, my MD and said, Hey, I, I can't stop drinking. And he tried to prescribe me some stuff. And I, I was like, well, I, I even filled a prescription, but I don't think I ever even took one. Um, I went to therapists. Um, you know, I got really involved back in the church because I was like, you know, I'm just going to pray the drink away um, and do that. But I kept drinking over and over and over again. And and I, I, I just couldn't figure it out. I tried all these different deals and I, I was I was out of options. So when they asked me to um, if I'd be willing to go to treatment, I said, yes. They, just like a good interventionist, he stopped the intervention right there, threw me in the car. And I was in treatment at 9.50 in the morning, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, so they gave me a big book. Um, the treatment center I went to, listen, there was nothing wrong with it. It was, it was a great separation from alcohol for 45 days. Um, they didn't really have a grasp of what the 12 steps were. Um, and I read the book like three times when I was in treatment because I didn't have anything else to do, but I didn't have no conception of what it meant. Um, when I got out of treatment, I had about two or three days before I, um, before I went to my sober living house, the bed hadn't opened up and I'd made this uh, relapse prevention plan. I was going to go to morning, new night meetings. Um, I was going to check in with my counselor every day and do that. I made it to day two and I got out to the noon meeting and I was so miserable because I hadn't gotten any solution um, that I was sitting in my car crying and just said, you know what, F it. I'm, I'm going to go drink. I was like, I'm going to, I'm giving up on everyone that just stood by me through, through all this. And, um, and I had done that. God hit me in the forehead with a two by four that day. Um, my phone rang. It was owned in a sober living house. He said, don't pass, go, don't go to your apartment. I want you right over here right now. He's like the bed opened up early. And I just turned the car on and cried the entire drive over there. I was so, I was so relieved. Um, I got there. He handed the phone to me and told me, ask this guy to be your sponsor. And I was like, whoa, I was told in treatment that I got to interview sponsors. And he was like, zip it. The guy, the owner of the sober living house knew me. And he was like, just ask this guy. And so I asked a, a random guy on the phone to be my sponsor. And he's like, can you be at the meeting tonight? And I said, I can. Uh, I was there. I had a big spiel to explain to him why, why I was a unique drinker, why, why I drank so much. He stopped me about three seconds into it and asked me, Hey, can you, can you call your numbers? And I was like, no. And he's like, can you stay quit when you quit? And I said, no. And he's like, you might be an alcoholic. And I was like, okay. And he's like, let's go on. He asked me about, man, my thoughts on a higher power. Um, uh, at the time I was, I was struggling with it um, and kind of idea and he said, you know, he looked me in the eye. He told me a little bit about his story. It wasn't the same as mine, but I had the feelings that he explained, the anger, the fear, the shame, um, that I related with that. And he was sitting across me happy. Um, I could see that in him. 
And he just looked at me. He's like, man, he's like, I don't even need to know what your conception of a higher power is right now. He's like, do you believe what worked for you could work for me? I work for you, may work for you. So I'm dyslexic um, and doing that. And, and, and I said, I don't know, Mike, I hope. And he's like, cool. That's what we need. Came to believe in a power greater than myself. I, 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 I define, I, I comprehend this concept as I go through the steps. And we came to step three. Made a decision to turn our will enough for the care of God as we understood him. Um, guys, I, I went lawyer on this. I was going to try to break it down. I did even in treatment. I asked my counselor, I was like, hey, how do I turn my will and my life over the care of God? And he told me to turn my thoughts and my actions over the care of God. And I, that was not the answer I wanted. I wanted him to give me a list of like 50 things to do uh, on a daily basis. And I was going to check the boxes. Um, you know, I, uh, if I knew how to turn my will in my life over the care of God at that point. And in, in, in like when I'm working with a newcomer also, it'd be a three-step program. The, the most important words in, in, in that step are made a decision. Um, the book starts talking about this idea of selfishness and self-centeredness. Guys, I had no concept of what that really meant. I thought I was a pretty good guy. I gave money to the to some guys when they're panhandling on the corners, like at, at the stoplight. I would donate to the church on Christmas and Easter when I went. Um, you know, all these, like, I didn't think I was a bad person. So like the idea of self self-centeredness didn't really ring true with me. And that was, that's okay. And I'm not really expecting even my newcomers to understand that until I get into an inventory. I'm going to refer back to that self self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. Um, so he basically just looked at me and said, Hey, are you done for, for good and all? Are you done drinking for good and all? And I said, yes. And he said, are you willing to go to for any links for victory over this? And I said, I am. And he, he looked me square in the eyes and said, we'll see big boy. And he was not being a smart ass. He was not trying to be rude. He just, he, he knew how many times, how many people have sat across from him and done the one, two, three shuffle um, and doing it that night. He had me in my inventory. Um, I took a few days to do it. I wanted to be thorough on it. And that's, that's cool. I mean, it's, there's not a set on it, but I knew that I knew that the time bomb in my head, the time clock in my head, was clicking. The book even tells me that I've got a week to a month before my brain's going to kick back in. And all that stuff that as bad as it was, that fear, that, that, that shame, that guilt, it's not going to be sufficient enough to hold me away from the drink. And so I did an inventory. Um, I'd never done the magnifying glass inwards. I'd never, I've never in my four step, never looked at what was going on with me, but it was eye opening. man. I was the victim. I was King baby. Um, I use that to my advantage all the time. I was a manipulator, um, all these things. Now, even in some things I didn't recognize. And so I needed the fifth step to talk to, you know, God knew about it, but I had to talk with my sponsor about it and he had to point some things out. I didn't really recognize manipulation that much. I was a people pleaser. I just wanted people to have a good time. And he's like, are you being your authentic authentic self? Are you being really you? Are you being honest with people? And I said, no. He's like, then you're manipulating them. You want them to see a certain, see you in a certain light so they will do or see you and think of you in a certain way. And I didn't recognize that as ever being an actual issue, like an actual problem, but it was, it was manipulation. I was running the show. I was playing God. Um, Six and seven, guys, six, six being entirely ready to have our character defects that we figure out these patterns of behavior. For me, honestly, six, I, I said right away, and I was, I was willing to, to, to be rid of these things, but I didn't actually understand what that meant. Um, in reality, I didn't know how to live without those crutches. 
for 35 years, that's how I lived my life. Um, and, and I didn't know how to live. And that was very scary. Um, ask God for some, some willingness in that step and that short prayer. Then I then hit my knees for step seven, the seven step prayer. And guys, that's putting just faith into action. That was, that was where, you know, God's got the steering wheel now. I'm making that decision in step three, but I've got to figure out what's blocking me off. And seven now is saying, hey, you're driving the ship now 100%. I am done. Me as a ship captain, bad news. Things are not going well. And so, so it's truly turning it over. You have all of me, God, the good and the bad. I oh, love that. I can't take credit for the good stuff anymore, and I can't pass blame for the bad. Um, had my list in step eight already, majority of it from my inventory. I had to add stuff onto it. And then was willing to go out and make those things right. My men process guys um, was, I was made very clear to me. It's not an apology tour. I, uh, some of them, they weren't all rosy. Most of them were great in the sense of not for myself, but didn't go nearly as like, they weren't as hard. They were, there was a lot of fear still wrapped up around them. Um, There were ones that people said, I don't, I want you to jump off a bridge. And I was like, "I, I, I hear what you're saying. Now, I honestly can't do that because I wouldn't be very helpful to anyone else after that. But I had people say that I never want to see your face again. And you know what? That I have to respect that. Uh, I said a prayer for them and said, you know what? Listen, God, if there's ever an opportunity where I can be helpful to this person down the road, whether they know it or not, please put it in front of me and I will do it. And I move on. Um, it's not about me, guys. It's about righting the wrong. Um then at the time, as I'm doing that, 10, 11, and 12, guys, 10, 11, 12 are great. I thought they were my penance. I was raised Catholic. And so I was like, when I heard I had to do 10, 11, 12 every day for the rest of my life, I was like, here it is. This is the, this is the penance for all the dumb, dumb and bad stuff that I've done in my life. But in reality, as I got to that point in the steps, as I've grown with God in this process, I realized that it's not about that. This is my, this is my meal ticket to keep me from... To, to keep growing in this relationship. And I've started to recognize these promises. I, I haven't thought about a drink in like, like a month, two months at this point. Um, not really at all. Um, I'm feeling better physically. Mentally, I actually can like look people, start to look people in the eye and do that just like the promises say. Um, now, it didn't all happen overnight, but it, it, they're starting to come true in my life, the promises were. And so, in 10, I'm just taking that inventory on a daily basis, righting the wrongs as I go, um, clearing up the past. Guys, I don't, I, I had a guy come up to me, um, like and he switched sponsors and hadn't, he had gone back out and he's like, you know, I, I know what I, what I did. I know why I relapsed because I didn't do my biannual um, inventory, fifth step. And I kind of looked at him, I was like, what? Biannual? do that. Listen, guys, there's stuff that I still have to put pen to paper to that. I still sit down with my sponsor and we do an actual like breakout. Like I sit down and do a little mini fist step that it happens. It's life. But if I'm doing step 10 on a regular basis, I should not have a list that grows and accumulates that I have to do this every six months and going through. And so I practiced step 10. Listen, I'm, I'm not the best at it. I, my sponsor will tell you that. I think you guys had them on last week um, and, and going through. Um, he, but, but, but man, I'm human. I, I, I strive for, for progress in this deal um, and going through. Um, 11, one of the coolest steps ever. I love starting my day with God and I love ending my day with God. It just, it's it, bookending my day with God is the best thing about it. 
That middle part, pause when agitated, when doubtful or agitated or doubtful, that's a little difficult. Uh, I'm, uh, I tend to get type A and uh, running heavy. And, and that one I still struggle with and doing that. And, and, it, and it shows I, I feel disconnected. I start getting, I can catch that softballs, my anxiety carries in my shoulders and realize that I got to stop down. I got to, I got to step outside and go, go spend all the time with God. I, I need to pause. Um, 12 is the greatest promise ever. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Um, man, what a blessing. Um, we tried to carry this message to this to this still suffering alcoholic and practice these principles in all our affairs. It's difficult to practice the principles in all our affairs. I will be the first to admit that. Um, getting getting a little easier on a daily basis to do that. Um, man, the one thing that's asked of us, I love going to a commitment. I've got I've been going and I'm hoping my fingers are crossed. I just put the phone call in that they're about to let us back in the VA hospital. I went for five and a half years straight every Sunday, you know, missing some obviously for trips and things like that, but getting it covered. But really regularly for five and a half years, I went to the VA hospital here in Dallas and I absolutely loved it. Guys, it doesn't always mean that I love it on the drive down there. Um, man, it's not a program of feelings. It's a program of action. Um, I, there's a lot of Cowboys football games that I've missed because I was down there and I've kind of been cursing myself driving down going, man, I can't move. I have to go do this right now, but I can guarantee you I've never left that place or any other service commitment I've ever done with that same mindset. I've never once walked out and gone, man. Yeah, that was a waste of time. No. And it's not about me. It's not about making myself feel better. We were, I was talking with a newcomer um, yesterday about this effort, this little meeting I did. Um, Man, working with another guy and seeing the light come on in their eyes, um, it's you get this joy, but it's a weird joy because it's not it's not really a self-centered joy. You're the joy is really seeing that person start to heal just like you did. And when they start working with another guy, man, it just compounds even more. And you're saying, like, God, this thing that saved my my bacon is now getting passed along to someone else. It, it doesn't get any better than that, honestly. It's not about being a job. It's not about that it takes up a lot of extra time. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Yes, there's no question. But again, this is the one thing that's asked me, and I would never change it for a world. My life has changed so much for the better, and drinking has nothing to do with it. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, I, the fact is I'm happy in my own skin today. I, I, I know myself. I know what humility means, and it's not that I'm less than. I just know my truth and do that. And so it's all do these steps and, and, and work in this program and God, um, it's not, it's, it has nothing to do with me anymore. So I appreciate you guys. Let me tell my story and uh, thank you. Awesome, Sean. Thank you so much.